on Saturday, 14th, February 1900, a party of schoolgirls from Appleyard College picnicked at Hanging Rock near Mount Macedon in the state of Victoria. During the afternoon, several members of the party disappeared without trade. Welcome back, Dread Fools. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie, or movies, or in this case, TV show, we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Ray. Sheila, my name is Chris, <laughs> mate. <laughs> Valentine's Day, Chris. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, Ray. And uh, if you're not quite sure what, what, what I was doing, I take the full blame. Um, Ray and I... We decided that to celebrate Valentine's Day, we wanted to do another Valentine's Day themed horror movie. And this one, this one popped up on our radar. Neither of us have seen it. I don't think you even heard of it. I'd never heard of this movie franchise thing. I had, I, so I had heard of it before, and I remember seeing the ads for the TV show on Prime. And when I looked up this list that was, horror movies that take place on or around valentine's day it was the only one on the list that i hadn't seen and i was like this this is it this is it. yeah have to do this and and you know both of us are really big fans of australian horror i mean we haven't really watched that review that much but you know we're definitely colored and definitely a little bit biased by the amount of joy we had watching Boar uh, a few months ago. And uh, so, good. so I, I, I was like, oh, this is a South Australian film. Let's, let's, it's cool. And I will say, oh, actually, I didn't even mention the film that we were talking about. Sorry, I'm so tired. Uh, we are reviewing Picnic at Hanging Rock. It's a 1975 film, which is also based on a novel. By Joan Lindsay from 1967. Yes, thank you. And it was also adapted, like Rye said, into a 2008 miniseries uh, starring, ugh, starring Natalie Dorner and uh, an equally great cast. And even, even the movie, too. It's a, it's a wonderful cast uh, directed by Peter Weir. And I will say that it definitely wasn't a the horror film that i was expecting but i was very pleasantly surprised and i was also very surprised at uh how good the tv show was and like so i'm like really interested in checking out the books uh and it's it's the bare bones plot of it is on valentine's day uh a group of young ladies who go to this um what's the word it's like a, a prep school not a, not not exactly a prep school uh, it's uh, a finishing school finishing school that's right uh finishing school in uh, in australia and on valentine's day they, they're on like a class trip uh to this volcanic mountain called hanging rock um three girls uh, three girls and a teacher goes missing and the rest of the movie um unfolds where it's about the mystery of and what's what happened everyone's trying to figure out what's going on with these girls and the disappearance plus the strange contagious and even exponential uh, social breakdown of the disappearance how like it like this tragedy just continuously destroys 
lives and up and society in like really strange, surreal, horrific ways. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. Um, Brian, what you think of it? Definitely wasn't uh, horror the way we have talked about before on this show, but it is horrifying. The treatment of the girls, no matter which way you're looking at it, is certainly horrifying. I would not wish a Victorian-era boarding school, finishing school, on anyone. Because that, like, the only thing about the Victorian era I would ever go back to are the corsets and the dresses. Uh, despite uh, learning from the cast of the 2018 TV series that it was really hot to film in all of those layers in, like, 104-degree weather. They were literally blasting fans, like, splashing, like, buckets of water at each other to stay cool. Because it was, like, 104 degrees. I cannot imagine filming and they filmed they filmed in open view the public because they filmed in a park so at least for 2018 like you could you could see everything now does this make me want to go to australia and like visit hanging yes. rock yes you yes. do <laughs> like i want to hike all the let's way up go to the top. field trip i mean we talked about going to new zealand to like to to go on the mount doom tour so why not hanging rock I mean, let's let's do all of it. Let's do Hanging Rock. Let's do all of it. That being said, I saw... Okay, so you, Chris, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. We started talking about the endings for both of these. Now, the 1975 film has one specific ending that I think had they gone with the original quote-unquote lost ending that the 2018 one chose to sort of adapt and make its own. Um... I don't think it would have gone with the Mrs. Appleyard that we see in the 75 movie. It doesn't match up with her character. Uh, that being said, it sort of matches up with some of the theories that I've seen about Natalie's version of Appleyard, which I am kind of excited to get into the theories and how we feel about the endings and i have a tldr version of the og first draft of the book which i found really funny and i think you'll laugh too do tell or we'll, or we'll get to it when when we get there i chris i died i was like this is some stephen king on a cocaine binge shit oh i think i know what you're talking about uh which i'm not a poet i think i if, I, if we're on the same page, like, I'm not opposed to it. Right. It's just, it's a little, it's a little eccentric for, like, not for, like, 1967, but for, like, the story that they're illustrating in 1967, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think part of the unique charm, and I think, large in part, why this movie has such critical acclaim is because it is so atypical of the typical horror supernatural uh thriller movie especially at the end um so spoilers unlike a lot of horror mystery movies the mystery never gets solved um we never know what happens to the girls uh one of them uh Irma she mysteriously returns um and in both in both adaptations of the book, um, she gets quote unquote a happy ending. Well, not well, I mean, she's not like per permanently lost in the ether or some weird time bubble, or she wasn't spirited away, but she returns to society. Um, and you can argue that depending on depending on which interpretation that that's like a worse fate for her i would say that's more accurate with the tv version than it's a little bit more ambiguous with the with the film version the film version it kind of paints her getting away scot free or not not completely scot free but like she was one of the lucky ones it, it felt to me in the film but anyway so but the larger part the mystery r remains unsolved uh, and what's also really ingenious about the book 
um, is when it was written, it's written in a way where it, I have to liken it to a precursor to Blair Witch Project or a, a precursor to viral marketing, like how the way the book was written and how the adaptations treated the, 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 the cinematography and the structure of the story. They treated the story as, as, as if it was real, even though it is completely fictional. I mean, I, I mean, they might have they might have take, taken inspirations from like real life incidents, but like the actual disappearance. Yeah, uh, uh, three boarding school girls and a teacher didn't actually go missing exactly. on a Valentine's Day picnic. Exactly. No, but there there is some like quote unquote truth. Not that there was like a murder or anything like that. Although that would have been really cool. Um. It it's more of like the historical events in the time period yeah, around I mean, that part. It's that historical like, fiction. I I agree, but like in yeah. the most literal sense, like a bunch of girls never end up literally ended, did not yeah. go missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like <laughs> that, never, but like it it treated like the the mystery as serious as possible, um, and. When I was talking with Ride during it, like I love that you never figured out what happened. And to me, that's not the point of the film. The point of the film is to show the repercussions and like and to show what happens uh, to society and to like interpersonal relationships when it, it it's directly encountered by trauma um i felt that's like one of the larger themes um and I, I find it really funny that um in particular and it, this feels such like an american thing like uh uh there was like american reviewers who or audiences who were really unsettled and really disturbed by the fact that the that the mystery was never solved um because like it, 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 that plays into classic uh tropes uh because it feels this movie like in some ways feels like a whodunit murder mystery detective film oh 100 percent. and like think about think about all the armchair detectives that have helped in current true true crime cases and like helped people get caught and and be brought to justice how bad of an itch they feel that they would need to scratch had this had been real so i get the frustration i felt kind of frustrated but i also think that the 75 movie and the 2018 tv show sort of presents the same thing just a little bit differently if that makes any sense i, I would agree I the 2018 version leans way more into like the weird Twilight Zone, David Lynch, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks type of yes. like it leans really hard. It, like it, it, it's like it goes out of its way to like show how disorienting and how strange it's going on. Um, and so you don't. I, I mean, obviously. It, the TV show, you don't know what happened, but like the journey and like how strange and surreal and abstract and dreamlike it is, it's like really cool. Uh, the the movie, the movie, not to say that it's inferior to the TV show. The movie has more of a dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, and then you see that in the cinematography as well. Yeah, like it's got that like cloudy haze over everything everything's very like tinted these like beautifully like pastel colors like everything's being filtered through like this dream lens and it's very like light to a degree um which i think sets a certain kind of tone for the film it has it looks like a it looks like a moving paint it looks, it looks like a painting like a, like a moving painting. Yes, yes. That being said, though, I think, and this is just how I watch the 75 film, both both sets 
of the picnic of at Hanging Rock are deliberate in what they show you for different reasons. Again, when watching the 1975 uh, movie, everything that they showed you and took like an extra second or two to pause on, whether it was like a detail or a shot or something like that, felt deliberate as in the movie was constructing an alibi for you, the viewer, as you witness the day, as you witness the picnic. That's what it felt like to me. I was like, this feels like there's like the, the director is setting up an alibi for what's about to happen. Like you as the viewer, like, you know, you were there. It's like a red herring. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's like a red herring, but like at the same time, it was like it kind of doesn't matter because it's part of the journey. It's part of like it's like the ultimate slow burn movie, and I can understand. Yeah, because just as strange as everything is while you're watching it is just as strange to map out all of these characters and how they were involved. Because if you think about it. If something like that really were to happen, that is how they would map the day back out. Just like how it was so easy. And I was watching the movie and I was counting the girls as they were walking up the, as they were going over the creek. I knew there were four of them, but you blink for a second and you, I swear I thought there were three. I knew there were four. So when he makes that mistake, when he says, no, I saw the three girls and then counts four of them. And the officer looks at him like, are you sure? And has that suspicious look on his face. I would do the same shit. Yeah. Well, like from a criminological standpoint, it's like wit witness, witnesses can mess up details. Right. That's perfectly yeah, accurate exactly um, so yeah but yeah it's, it's a it's a long way of so, of saying like like there's so much slow burn there's so much anticipation and like it leaves you hanging and i could not understand why american audiences at the time of the original film felt like really disjointed had got cognitive dissonance like i love this one quote so this is from the director peter weir and he was describing um, how one of the reviewers reacted, and this is, he said, "quote One distributor threw his coffee cup at the screen at the end of the uh, at the end of it because he wasted two hours of his life a mystery with a god without a goddamn solution." And I really, I really laughed at that. It's like because to me, the this distributor didn't get the point. Is this is not about like finding the answer. It's about like being lost in this maze being lost in like this labyrinth of 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 mystery that is the film and like you know and it, it's just like you you you're it's like a you you you're feeling out the 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 the, the strange dream like mystery as the movie plays and i love that i've never really seen a movie like this or i haven't really seen anything like this done it, being lost felt like like a very integral theme to this movie. So obviously, Mrs. Appleyard is lost in in her mind in some sort of fashion. Some of these girls are literally you can you can label them as lost girls, like Sarah the orphan. She literally would have nowhere else to go. And part of the reason why you send with ladies to a finishing school is because they've quote unquote lost their way in life. Because the whole point of a finishing school is to make you more interesting so that you can find a husband. So that just like threads through the whole thing. Even if you go to the TV show, it threads through the whole thing. And I think that the 75 movie really sets that up and really like pinpoints the focus on all of that. And I think that without that, you don't have what they set up in the 2018 TV show. You really don't. Yeah, and the the 2018 version it it gives so I mean I, I well I say this with the full disclosure I have not read the books so I, I can't have not either. Say, yeah, so I can't say for sure how much character development these specific characters get, but like with the benefit of having a mini series where each episode is like anywhere between tw thirty five to to an hour. Long, you have a lot of time to flesh out these characters. So, if you're talking about lost souls or lost girls, you know they fleshed out, you know the main 
students so much. Like you, you in the movie and the TV show, you you do get. It, it's pretty apparent to me that like Miranda is like this um, mysterious, free spirited, sprite like character. But like mm-hmm. even in the TV show, you see that even more. She's like. She's just like a wild horse that can't be broken. Uh, yeah. There's a wild child. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's also, that's also the point of sending a girl to a finishing school, right? Is to break that free spirit and make them compliable, which is why seeing Miranda as such a free spirit, I always thought that she was the threat because she's the free spirit. Um, as it sort of turns out, it's not really, it's, I thought in the 75 movie, Miranda's like the threat, um, even though over the course of the movie, all signs point to Sarah, I couldn't really figure out why Mrs. Appleyard, like, had such a vendetta for Sarah in the film, because... There was just, there was some, there, it's not that there was a disconnect, but like, I think I just missed it the first time. Whereas in the TV show, they set up Miranda to be this free spirit that needs to be broken down. And Mrs. Appleyard. Yeah, because Victorian ideals or, or the patriarchy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she freaking tries. Right. And she tries. But Sarah also has her own, is, and you and I were discussing this. You and I also thought that Sarah was a threat in her own right, too. But it had nothing. But it, I think it was separate from her being free and outspoken. That was definitely a part of it. Yeah. I have lots of thoughts about the TV show. So I want to hold off on that until we're ready to talk about it. <laughs> I was just saying, like, going back to, like, the Lost Spirit stuff. I mean, like, it, the, it goes... It gives the characters so much more dimension and depth. Like, Marion making her person of color who's automatically looked down upon in, like, the quote-unquote, like, English Victorian-esque society. So she... Plus, like, she's also... In, she's also uh in a relationship of forbidden love so like she's even more isolated and then you have uh irma who is self-aware of her worth quote-unquote uh in terms of greater society she's very pretty she comes from good family she has lots of money uh and then society dictates that she's a good fit but inside she feels hollow she feels lost she feels inadequate um she has like a a big superiority complex in in that too in that way too she feels lost and i love like all those additional uh character developments which you don't really see uh in the movie but you know, I don't fault that for the movie because, like, it's 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 a two-hour medium versus the six hours you get in the TV show. Even still, they were able to take a two hundred and what twelve-page book and turn it into six hours worth of television, and it did it really well. I, I at least I think so. Yeah. Are we ready to get into the 2018 TV series? Um, I'm just uh, going back to what you said about Mrs. Appiart. So, what I thought of her treatment of Sarah, I don't. I mean, the TV show treats the the Appleyard Sarah relationship, or the I guess the conflict, as Appleyard sees a lot of herself in Sarah. Like she was also an orphan. Uh, she was also probably a child of abuse. But unlike unlike Sarah, I think was it Irma? Yeah, Irma described Sarah as being like a young helpless deer. Uh, she's doomed to die because. You know, she's so frail uh, and she's not going to be prepared for like a world outside of the college, even though the college itself was a pretty shitty uh, living environment. And on the polar opposite, you have Appiard, well, at least in the TV show Appiard, um, that can't say for sure uh, about the mo- of the, about the book or the movie, but in the TV show Appiard, also orphaned, but she refuses to be weak. So she learns how to steal, lie, kill uh, her her way to the top into a semblance of social hierarchy. And I would think the the, the antagonism between Appleyard and Sarah in 
the movie, I think it's just more of a cruel capitalist type of antagonism going on. Because, like, I, I, I mean, it, I admit it was a little bit strange why Appayar to me was so cruel and harsh against Sarah. But to me, I think it's because Appiard is so obscenely obsessed about her reputation and her status, uh, especially and, and, and the school that like this, the minute that uh, her guardian Crossgrove like fails to pay the bill. You no, know, then she immediately drops uh, Sarah because the school is quote unquote, not a charity case. And, um, and then I think that, that, you know, that definitely comes back to bite at her. Um, cause like her school slowly decays in the inside and, you know, Alpiar commits suicide. So that's what I was thinking about the movie uh, and Sarah's, uh, relationship. I like how when everything starts to completely unravel and Appleyard is com- unhinged at this point in the film, she's drunk, she's bel- like borderline belligerent. She knows it's the end. She doesn't try to run. Instead, she just commits suicide and that's it. Her bags are already packed. She's dressed all in black like she's attending her own fear. She's dressed for mourning. Right. And that's it. And I thought it was a really appropriate ending for the movie. That being said, an alternate ending that you see, and I only want to get into this now because we're sort of closing our discussion on the 75 movie, alternate ending that you see for the 75 film is Appleyard goes to Hanging Rock to look for the girls, and then two days later, the authorities find her body, and they assume that she fell off the rock trying to climb to the top. What I don't buy about that ending for the 75 film is that it would have been completely out of character for how cruel Appleyard is. There is not one part of that movie that I would have thought she would have been motivated to go look for those girls. Not once. Not once. I think it would have been so out of character for her. So I'm happy that that ending didn't make the fun, didn't make it. I would say when you showed me that, that, that extra clip it felt a little bit disjointed to me like that clip that that ending in a way was adapted uh into the show but it was made so much more surreal and esoteric and uh, bizarre and i think that worked because it it it, the, the tv show built up so much over the tv show how much appyard really hated her kids and how paranoid she was like she thought the entire time the disappearance of the girls was orchestrated by her formal husband as an act of revenge and she thought and then then, um the thing that really broke her was like oh well this wasn't this tragedy of this tragedy of me and my life that i tried to build uh wasn't done by human design so she's driven to insanity basically it's like what happened to my girls why did this happen why did it happen to me i don't she doesn't really care about the girls she's 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 concerned like what why what are the circumstances that led to the reason why where i'm without a school i'm on the run i killed a, a child and you know and um it was it was it was to the end she was self-serving everything was self-serving and about self preservation yeah exactly and it works because like natalie dorner sells oh no it does and that's why i buy the ending for the 2018 series instead of for the 75 movie because even if there was a tiny ounce of her that truly gave a shit about those girls it would work but it was for a self-serving purpose for part of that series you felt like half of the questions she was asking was because she was covering her own ass not because she cared because from episode one you learn that she's an unreliable narrator and that she can't be trusted because she said, you know, when you dress the part, people assume that that's who you are. So from episode one, they tell you, I'm not to be trusted. There's something wrong with me, which is why some of her backstory I could have done without because they've already set her up as a rely- as an unreliable narrator. I don't need her backstory that sort of like goes with it i don't want to know like 
how she got her name, the whole thing with the soap tin, that's fine. But the whole backstory with Arthur and all that crap, like, I feel like there was just an easier way to do it. Or I just didn't need it at all. Yeah. I, uh, do you think it was trying to spin mystery for mystery's sake? Like, to me, like, I, I think the thing that bothered me about Hester's character is, like, yeah, yeah, I th yeah, we already know she's an unreliable narrator, but I think they tried to nail it in really hard that she's unreliable. Like, I didn't quite know if she was losing her nerves because she's so paranoid or if it was, like, a matter of mental illness. Like, because, like, she starts hallucinating and talking to Arthur. And I wasn't, I was like, okay, wait, so is she actually crazy? Or is she going through psychosomatic symptoms of, like, intense stress? I don't know what to make of this. And it I, I just, to me, it kind of broke the immersion for me a bit. But, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't break the show for me, in, like, totally. But I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure what it's doing because like, we already know that we 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 already know that she's unreliable and you know she's self-serving so why so why try to pile on more i don't know yes i agree with you but there's something that i had to make sure i wasn't the only one who saw it while we started and i, I you and i were talking about this earlier today I think I was mostly done with the series, if not completely done with it, while I was uh, Facebook messaging this to you. The biggest difference between the 1975 movie and the 2018 TV series is how fucking queer the entire series is. I Oh, yes. It's great. It it's awesome. It's so great. It's brilliant. And I think that there is so much that you can do with it because of the time period it's set in. And you think, oh, well, you know, they're acting this way because she's very obviously uh, a sapphist and all of that. And you know what? That is that is chef's kiss. I think it's perfect. However, I had to make sure I wasn't reading into it, which is why I Facebook messaged you about it. I was like, is this intentionally like super queer or is my brain on fire? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's clearly it is it's clearly there, but it, like it it it's another way of social commentary about like how much the patriarchy sucks or how much it, it sucks to be a woman back then or even even now it's like you know everyone's trying to control your bodies everyone's trying to tell you how to act how to how to think how to present yourself how, how to think like what's the proper way or, or else you're going to be a, a, a reject and an outcast you're either going to be miranda who or who you're going to be patronized and you're going to be like well, society's is going to try to break you you can't be this wild horse um you can't be i mean like people look down on marion because like because of her race and which is something she has no control over she's automatically regaled to like a lower place in society or the fact that like irma like all the values that she espouses are superficial uh like her beauty her looks her her family name how much money she has in the bank you know and like she materially like overall in the end she feels so hollow she feels so inferior she feels she hates herself and because we live in a capitalist society and that those are values or a materialist society or and like or a society that's so vain um and it sucks and but and it and and, and going back to all the all uh, all the lgbt stuff you know it's just another way to like to modernize and express like all these shitty things like these girls had to go through and just twist the knife even more like uh it, it provides like a like a nuanced understanding about like forbidden love and, and and you know how people especially women have to like go against their own natures or their own hearts and desires and like have to like kill the that kill that part of themselves and it's it's terrifying and and it also explores like 
different types of intimacy and infatuation and different types of love and friendship not just between people of the opposite sex but like uh, people of the same sex so like just exploring this type of infatuation and love between miranda uh and and sarah which is very familiar and like they treat each other like sisters and then and like uh there's certain points where i think they it's kind of more of a sisterly love um but i think most parts is familiar familial then you have marion actually being in love with with the teacher uh, mcgraw uh, and then on the on the flip side, you also have um, Albert and Mike. Oh my God, the amount of gay energy popping off between the two of them. Yeah, I, that's where I I think yeah. I was watching all of that, and then <laughs> I was like, "There's no way this isn't intentional." And then even I felt to a certain degree, yeah, that and you and I were talking a lot about Sarah Sarah's infatuation and being in lust for, and I think even Mademoiselle says it that she was in lust for Miranda. Yeah, because like Sarah, that uh, I mean, like Sarah was or Val, Miranda was Sarah's Valentine. Like they they explicitly say that, right? And I think that even Nat, even Natalie is as Appleyard. I even want to go to that step. I want to go that step further and even say that is that the part of herself that she sees in Sarah? Is that part that you have repressed? Because there's also a lot of repressed homosexuality going on in there. I mean, Lumley, she was caught looking at some photographs. Don't tell me you didn't know what that thing was that she found inside of the hidden trunk that she kept i i i feel like i feel like i think for Appleyard, like i i don't actually i mean regardless of what whatever sexual orientation or proclivity she actually is i don't think in general she's interested at all in love at all like she's very she like if anything the most the most type of love she expresses is self-love or narcissism or whatever yeah i don't but i don't think it's self-love though she loves station and status and and a self-inflated feeling of like worth yeah. and value but and she'll do anything yeah she, yeah right i don't think there's any self-love i really think she actually hates herself which is why she does everything that she does she has no love for anybody else okay well, I, I guess like a very superficial self-love yes Yes, yes. It's she loves herself. She views herself the way she wants to be viewed by other people, which extends, I think, to how she feels about herself. She wants to be presented a certain way, so she presents herself a certain way. And that catches the eye of like the friggin' town doctor. And he he proposes to her and she turns it down. I do think that that was because she was being driven mad by the fact that there may or may not. And this is, okay, so this is one of the theories that I saw. The disappearance of the three girls actually never happened. They weren't real. They were her deteriorating psyche from her repressed trauma that she's constantly haunted by. Wait, so she's Tyler Durden from Bike Club? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I don't... Like, each one of the girls represents a different part of her that was traumatized at a certain point in her life uh... for a certain reason, and that's why she throws herself off the rock at the end. I don't buy that, because, like, what? I'm just saying it was one... I'm not saying it's the theory I believe, I'm saying it's a theory. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that theory. I don't. <laughs> that ignores like, no. so much. That did, that, ignore, that ignores so much of like what so like does Madame Mademoiselle what Mademoiselle doesn't like uh, doesn't see Sarah or doesn't doesn't or doesn't love uh, Miranda because like she you know Miranda or I'm sorry Mademoiselle says like oh yes Miranda is Miranda is a Botticelli angel you know it's like I I I that, that ignores so much of of like the, the evidence i hate that theory <laughs> yes and i'm not saying that those students but again i know you hate the theory but again it could also tie into the semi-historical fiction fact about the original book which was there could have been actual events occurring around that time that inspired the book so maybe something happened individually with girls like one of those could have been a girl that went to the school. There could have been 
a girl from somewhere else or somewhere in her childhood or something like that. Like she could have taken bits and pieces and like created like from reality and created all of this. Like, I'm not saying I buy it. I'm saying I understand the theory. It's a weak theory. That's my, that's my take. Chris hates it. Chris hates it. No, no, I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay. So I'm going to give you the TLDR. Now that we started talking about endings and we've started to talk about all that, I'm going to give you the TLDR version of the original draft, the original first draft of the book. This is how Joan Lindsay said the book was going to end. The girls fall into a trance before entering a hole in space. Two of the girls transform into crabs after going through this fateful crack in the rocks while chasing their school teacher who went MIA prior to the events of the novel. Irma gets prevented from following when a boulder blocks the path, which leads her to eventually return to reality. The, I, as as gonzo as it is. That is some cocaine, Steven. That is like Steven can't have a cocaine. I love bitch. that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I I I, I honestly, like, okay, so I'm of two minds. One. You hate that it's all in her head theory? I hate this. Oh, I just call it completely valid. But like, I like, just because like, I, like, I love weird shit like that. So I love it, but I am, I am more grateful and I am more satisfied that we never know what happens. Because like, whether it's that ending or like some harebrained theory you, you think of or um, I think of, like, n- like I think the fun of it is just to think up of like, just to theorize and theory craft what could have happened like it was it all in someone's head or did someone actually fall through a hole in the universe were they spirited away or was there some shaman stuff going on um and i would say like the there was definitely some weird timey-wimey stuff like the uh or like you know like i i think especially the tv show the tv show goes so hard in like the weird time loop time distortion type of weirdness the movie definitely factors in like all the clocks stopping yeah like the the this yes. clocks are a constant symbol uh the clock stopping at 12 at when it reaches the mountain like they're, they're all explaining how it's like a strange magnetic effect and the fact that like the passage of time is so weird um i think various characters were saying like time Time isn't a thing. Time doesn't exist at the at the rock. Uh, so they definitely lean heavy on that. I would say yes. Like people turning to animals is very strange, but I don't think it's the most far fetched thing. Cause I mean, it, it it goes back to like shamanism and other you know indigenous Australian beliefs. So it's kind of like I, I feel like you could argue that you know there's like a history of this kind of phenomena or belief systems in in Australia where, where this movie was written, takes place, and filmed. But again, I do, full disclosure, I do like how we never find out. Now, with the TV show, I was talking to Rai and saying how the ending was seriously, I had a serious Haunting of Hill uh, vibes where like there's weird timey wimey stuff that was happening at the same time in the past and the present and they were like intersecting and crisscrossing where like the the three girls were walking around and they hear a noise uh they hear or they think they see something following them and it, it happens to be the echo of Appleyard trying to stalk and find them like you know months or years later and which was it made for like really interesting a really interesting composed edit ending obviously you never get the answer and and like it's also meant to be very disorienting which is a meta narrative because like how they have always portrayed the rock similarly is like it's this weird place time doesn't work right the land itself doesn't work right it's like alive or sentient or it's like otherworldly but yeah the legends that some of the locals have about the rock how they don't want to go up there the history surrounding the rock i mean i read an i read a a blog post from someone from like 2013 or something like that who took a trip to australia who was who went to hanging rock and whether or not actual things happened there something made enough of an impact that this girl said that 
there were people that were around her that were like, no, you don't want to go up there. There's dead bodies up there or it's haunted. Yeah. And then the, uh, from the, from the original movie, the executive producer, Patricia Lovell, Lavelle, she cites that she's genuinely, truly, sincerely afraid of hanging rock. Like she only went back to the place once and then she visited it in 1985 and then she, she got really spooked. And ever since 1985, she never returned to hanging rock ever again. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Home Depot. We're going to get rope. We're going to tie one end to you, one end to me, nothing in between. But with like enough give that I'm not like up your ass, but but also with enough space that like we can just walk and be fine and I can still see you. We're going to bring cliff bars. We're going to bring water and we're going to go. Right. We're, we're going to bring we're going to bring more than just rope. We're going to we're going to be smart. We're going to have batteries, flashlights, walkie talkies. Something tells me that uh, cell phones don't work up there. Okay, well, not well. Walkie-talkies, short, short band, short wavelength radios, a satellite phone, signal flares, a uh, flare gun. Uh, we tell all of our loved ones and the Australian government where we are, and we don't. No one hears from us in like forty-eight hours to find to send in the army. There you go. Take no chances. When when COVID is over, we're gonna go to Australia. Yes, I really, I really miss Australia. We have to make it a quick trip, though. I'm terrified of snakes. It's fine. No, it's not fine. Are you kidding me? I mean, okay, so you have, you you have you have you have killer snakes on this side, but then you have you have the, you have little joeys and wallabies, and I, I think I think the joeys and wallabies are. <laughs> I'm okay with that. The joeys and the wallabies and the dingoes and the koala bears. I'm fine with that. That's fine. And the drop bears. Fine. The giant dinner-sized tarantulas. <laughs> like I'm not really a fan of like the Goliath spider. I'm not afraid of spiders, but like that motherfucker can like please stay where it is. Like I don't I don't need that. But snakes, I'm terrified of snakes. We know this. Like they scare me. They scare me shitless. So I would just prefer the fact that like they kept like emphasizing poisonous snakes. I was like fuck. If I have to see a snake during this movie, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> see a snake i mean you see a snake skin in the tv show and then and then you see a really cute bearded lizard or bearded dragon in the movie which is like i want one i wanted that bearded dragon that crawled by it all right well that's there here's my shocked face so ratings uh hmm. i'd say regardless of either i was i'm gonna rate these high like regardless of either ending that you choose to believe yeah, like, well, I think, I mean, TV show or movie, I mean, I, I think these are still going to be rated on the high end just because of the core story of how fresh and how unexpectedly surprising and well thought out and poignant um, it was. Not just the mystery stuff, but just like all the interpersonal societal commentary stuff. Um, or like, you know, and, and like the interplay between the, the, like the so-called so like civilization or civilized, uh, society of like British culture versus like the untamed wildness of Australia. Uh, that dichotomy is there too. I would give the movie probably like, probably like a four, four out of five volcanic rocks. And I'm going to give, I'm going to give the TV show a four and a half out of five wow i yeah i i would say like this is not bashing the movie at all i think the reason why the tv show edges out a little bit further for me is because it's just more screen time and it's not like screen time for the sake of screen time like you're just extending it willy-nilly but like how they stretch the story in really creative ways like they fleshed out they fleshed out all the backstories. Uh, they gave everyone such incredible depth. I felt like a vast majority of the characters, like they had like a pretty complete emotional arc. You know, they they all had poignant poignant parts to play, and I especially love like the the new nuanced character developments they gave to like Irma, Marion, Miranda. I felt like out of all the schoolgirls, I felt like you got like the most personality from Sarah. And I felt like I felt like er like everyone just felt so much more real. It's so much more complex in the TV show. And it just it just made for more so much more 
interesting dialogue and interplay and it deepened their relationships or their uh, or their conflicts the performances top notch and it's beautifully shot and not to say like the the film isn't also beautifully shot i mean like they had did some really creative stuff like they they achieved that dreamlike effect they put a, a veil uh over the camera uh which gave it that like night like weird hazy smoky effect and then the the TV show, you just had like these incredibly long shots and beautiful shots of like scenery and, you know, especially with like the weird ass trippy scenes where like there's that one scene where Nellie Dorner is like going insane. Uh, and like there's, there's a couple of shots where like the camera's upside down and swaying back and forth. And it's like, that's a really cool shot. So, yeah, I don't know. I In general, I, 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 I was completely new to this franchise. And I'm very, very glad we stumbled upon it and reviewed it. I really want to read the books. Um, books plural, because it's there's three of them. Yeah, that's absurd to me. But I'm definitely going to pick up the books and read them at some point because I wanna see I wanna see what Joan Lindsay did that was different from the movie and the TV series. That being said, I love the queer energy from the TV series. I really did not know what to do with myself because I really thought I was reading too much into it. I had to be sure. No, it's so there. It was so blatant. It was amazing. It was, I love it. Very, it's so there. They lay it on really thick, but I love it. Um, that being said, I will give the movie a 3.8 because it was good. It wasn't horror, but it was just like a solid movie, a solid portrayal of trauma. And I will give the TV series a 3.9 for the same reason, but it was just a little, there was just, there were extra bits that I both appreciate that, that I appreciated that I think added to the story. Um, in the same vein, there were also parts that like took away from it, but I just think that in terms of watching it through this lens of trauma and repressing trauma along with repressing a whole lot of other things, that is something that the 2018 TV series did better. Yeah, check it out. On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook. And you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. Uh, yes, and thank you for listening. Uh, uh, we um, we hope you check out Picnic and Hanging Rock. I'm not going to assume anything. This might, if you watch it for the first time, I hope you enjoy it. If it's one of your favorite films, great. Enjoy it again. We, we certainly loved it. And yeah, I'm just pleasantly surprised in general. So, which is a nice feeling to have. So, uh, thanks for listening again. And don't forget, <laughs> hey, hey, dreadful. Hey.